Welcome to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God and study uh, what the book says. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it is a privilege to be on the radio with you today, and we trust that you're getting some help from these Bible studies that we conduct on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. This week, we're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we will be, and we're going to be looking at some truths found here in the Gospel of John chapter 11. Now, uh, the background or the context of this whole chapter is the raising of the Lord's friend, the raising of Lazarus. who was the Lord's friend during his earthly ministry. And while we're not going to look at the actual raising up of Lazarus, but rather today we're going to look at a conversation that was held by Lazarus's sister Martha with the Lord Jesus Christ that's very, very instructive. And so this week, if you'll turn to John chapter 11, we're going to pick up the story in verse 19. Now, as I said, this is the story of Jesus Christ coming uh, to Lazarus. He goes to the cemetery and raises him from the dead. But if you know the story they had sent, Mary and Martha had sent for the Lord while Lazarus was sick because they wanted the Lord to come down and heal their brother. That's a legitimate request. And of course, we know that Jesus Christ tarried his coming because he wanted a time, he wanted to allow the time for Lazarus to die because he was going to do something much more spectacular than just heal a sick man. Jesus Christ was going to come down and he was going to walk into a graveyard and he was going to raise up a man that had been dead for four days and prove uh, to the onlookers uh, that he was uh, the Son of God, the very Messiah of Israel, and God was going to be glorified through this great uh, miracle that Jesus Christ was about to perform. But we're going to pick it up in verse 19. He's on his way to the house, and of course, uh, as far as Mary and Martha are concerned, he's late. Let's pick it up in verse 19. The scripture says this, Many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And of course, Lazarus has died and departed this life. And sorrow follows death. There's no doubt about it. And so verse 20, it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus. Now watch what Martha has to say to him. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. So Martha is a little perplexed. Uh, As far as she's concerned, the Lord Jesus Christ is late. He's late because they wanted him to come and heal their brother. And they had full faith that he could do just that. And yet Jesus had tarried his coming, and in their minds... And in their perception of the situation, Jesus Christ was late. And because he was late, he had allowed their brother to pass away. And she said, Lord, if thou hadst been here. And you know, a lot of times we preachers and and those of us that study the Bible, we're hard on Martha. We say, boy, she sure was bold and brassy. But you know, the truth of the matter is, in this case, we've all had the same kind of idea. Uh, God doesn't act many times according to what we think he should do. He doesn't relieve us of our grief. He doesn't relieve us immediately of our troubles. And we feel like, what is God doing? Why is he not here helping me? And we say, Lord, if thou hadst done this, this, or this, then this wouldn't be going on. And what we say is true, but here's what we don't understand. We don't see the great picture that our Lord sees. And you know what Jesus Christ knew? He knew that, yes, there would be a few days of grief, but I'm going to show you a resurrection that's going to overwhelm you and bring glory to God and more joy to your heart 
than you could even imagine. And you know, that's the way it is. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, Paul was preaching and he said this. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. You know, we have a great hope as Christians, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our own Savior. We have a great hope of a resurrection morning and we look forward to that day. And while our timing many times and God's timing is different than ours, I can tell you this, he doeth all things well. And listen, God has not forgotten you in your distress. And many times it's easy for the flesh to take over and say, I don't know why God has allowed this. I don't know why God hasn't taken this away. If God had only done this, then I wouldn't be suffering this way. But just as it is with Martha, God had greater plans for her and for her sister Mary than they understood. And so Martha just tells him, she said, Lord, if you'd been here, And so here's what he says to her in verse 23. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And that's what he told her. And so she chimes right back in and she says, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha had uh, some doctrinal things she was depending on. She had no doubt that at the last day when God, uh, all Old Testament Jews believed in a resurrection. And she said, well, I know he's coming up at the last day. But what she's concerned about is right now, Lord, what about right now? And so verse 25, Jesus Christ gives a great truth in these two verses, which is what I want to look at today. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. In other words, Martha, the resurrection is not just a doctrine and the resurrection is not just a day. He reminds her that you're looking at eternal life. You are looking at the resurrection. I'm going to tell you something about Christianity. It's not a rule book. It's not a set of restrictions and regulations. It's all based around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Salvation is in a person. And even here, when the resurrection is brought up, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, Jesus Christ is life. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 20, that Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. And you know something? Uh, Men are looking to go on living. They want to live. The devil knows this. He tells us in Job chapter uh, 2, he, tell, he told God, the devil did, he told God that, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. And you know something? That's the truth. A normal thinking, a normal person wants to go on living. They're looking for ways to live. And you know something? The very thing that men are looking for, which is life, they can find in Jesus Christ. And they look everywhere but to Jesus Christ. And nevertheless, the Bible says that he is everlasting life. To know him is to know life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because I have Jesus Christ living by faith in my heart, I have everlasting life according to the Bible. And here he tells Mary, I'm sorry, Martha, he rebukes her and he tells her very kindly that I am the resurrection and the life. Now look at it. Jesus goes on to say, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asks a loaded question. Jesus gives a three word question here. And we're going to look at each word of this question and make proper application this morning. Jesus asks Martha in verse 26, believest thou this? What a loaded question. I want to point out three things. Each word has great meaning. Believest thou this is what the Lord asks Martha. And you know something? The first thing we see is uh, a troubled problem, 
a trouble or a problem. You say, well, what, what's the trouble? Well, he asks her the question, believest thou this? Now, those of you who know your King James Bible know that uh, one of the classic accusations brought against this precious old book is the fact that it's, quote, too hard to understand, or Brother Alltop, that's got so much of that archaic language, I need to get an easy read Bible so that I can understand it. Well, and most people that I've talked to, they'll say the, the standard party line is, I can't understand the these and the thous. We don't talk that way, so let's, let's get a new version where they can talk like we talk. Well, if you do that, you're going to, of course, rob yourself of some great truth. Did you ever consider that when the King James Bible came out, and if you've ever actually read the King James Bible, you'll find that the, the translators did use the words you and your. Ye, you, and your are all through the King James Bible, but so is thee, thou, and thine. Now, here's what you do if you go with a modern perversion of the Scriptures. And I'm sorry if that's offensive. I want to try to help you this morning. I didn't say you were lost. I just said that you're, uh, you're, you're getting cheated by these new Bibles, and all this preacher wants to do is remind you that there was nothing wrong with the King James Bible to begin with. Uh, advertising pitches basically told you that you were too dumb to understand the Bible, and so you went out and bought a new, quote, easier-to-read version, and you fell for the con man's pitch. Because I'm going to tell you, there's big money in new Bibles. Amen and Amen. And the other fact is this, all these new Bibles that are supposed to be so easy to read, how come it is that uh, churchgoers and professing Christians are as big, biblically illiterate today or more biblically illiterate than they've ever been in the entire history of the church? Uh, nobody's reading any Bible is the problem. But here's the thing I want to point out. Uh, in the King James Bible, the words thee, thou, and thine are singular, Anytime you word, read the words, thee, thou, and thine in your Bible, you know that an individual is being addressed. You say, well, what does ye, you, and your mean? Well, in the King James Bible, that's plural. In other words, when you see the words you or your, it will show you that there is being a group of people or a crowd addressed. Now, that is a very helpful study tool that's built into the text of the old authorized version. And so the truth of the matter is, you, you can understand these and thous. Sure you can. Do, doesn't your church still sing, How Great Thou Art? Well, if you're going to change the Bible, why not update your hymns to say how great you are? You see how foolish this stuff gets? Can you imagine what a literary professor would have to say if someone came around and treated the writings of Shakespeare the way modern uh, scholarship treats the uh, wording of the King James Bible? They don't update Shakespeare Amen. Listen, Shakespeare, that stuff is just, uh, that's going to burn. Nothing wrong with Shakespeare, but I'm telling you, that's not eternal truth. But I'm telling you, I got a book on the table this morning that's eternal truth. It's the words of God. You better quit monkeying around and looking for a, quote, easier read translation and just discipline yourself to sit down every day and read this book and ask God to open your heart and your understanding. And I'm telling you, you're sitting on a gold mine. Uh, the King James Bible has never let me down. It has never failed to give me what I needed for that day. And you better get back to just reading and enjoying the steak that God has laid on your plate and quit going out after these Happy Meal Bibles. Amen and amen, preacher. He says this at the end of verse 26, for those of you who are still listening to me, he says, believest thou. In other words, this question is a personal question. And the trouble is people oftentimes do not read the Bible looking for themselves in the book. 
Many people do not come listening to the preaching of a, in a, a church, listening for instructions or corrections or rebukes for themselves. Listen, Jesus Christ was asking Martha this question, Believest thou this? He wasn't asking Mary, who was still sitting in the house. He wasn't asking what her brother had believed. He didn't ask what anyone else thought. He looked at Martha, and he asked her specifically, personally, individually, Believest thou this? And can I tell you that any one of us this morning, myself or any of the listening audience, could be asked the same question uh, by the Lord, and you have to answer personally. Listen, it's not whole church fellowships that go into heaven. It's individuals that go there. Whole congregations are not born uh, again together. It's individuals that make up the congregation that have to come to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the Bible says he is a savior, but he's a personal savior. And you personally must answer these questions and you personally must do business with God. And one of the hardest things, especially for backslidden Christians uh, who are carnal and come into churches, one of the great snares and traps that the devil traps you in is you come in and you listen to the message as though it's just a general idea and you never take anything too personally. And that's the reason many people are unsaved. They know that Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again, and they would even uh, attest to that and give assent to that historical truth. The problem is they're still unsaved because they've never taken uh, the word of God personally. Amen. That's how a lot of Christians are. They never take the preaching personally. And so every week they go out worse than they came in. Listen, I know a lot of people who will listen to the message for somebody else in that congregation, and they'll leave and tell their wife on the way home, boy, I hope so-and-so was listening this morning. He really got all over him. What's hilarious is many times what you're seeing is not the reflection of your brother in Christ in the pew, but it's actually your ugly reflection, and God is trying to get you to look into the mirror of the Word of God that you might see what's wrong with you. I'm telling you, those who go listening to the sermon to be, be able to apply it to somebody else, listening for someone else, goes home empty and bitter and more backslidden than when they walked in. Listen, you've got to be more than a hearer of the word. You've got to be a doer of it. Well, the only way to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only is to take what the truth says and to take what the preaching is and apply it personally. He asked Martha a personal question, and the trouble we have with this question oftentimes is we cannot uh, apply it to ourselves. I'll, I'll give you a quick example, and I'll move on. I had an opportunity not too many months ago to preach a funeral, and I had many uh, family members present at this funeral. It was in another state. And while I uh, got down to the end of that funeral sermon, I wanted to give the gospel because I knew many of my own family members have never been born again, and they're dying day by day in their sins and trespasses, and I want to be faithful to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, you can't give good news until you talk about the bad news. Nobody's going to race to Calvary uh, and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and flee to him in faith until they see their awful dilemma until they know that they're heading toward judgment and that they're facing the wrath of God. Listen, they'll not flee from the wrath to come if they don't know that there is wrath. So the way to show people their sin is to uh, preach God's law to them because the Bible says that the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
Well, while I preached that day, I went through several of the laws of God, the commandments of God that would show men and women at present that day their sin. And when I talked about thou shalt not commit adultery, I began to speak of fornication and I talked about people that shack up and don't have any shame about it and people that go around whoremongering around town and outside the marriage bed and how that that was, uh, that was sin in God's sight. And the Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And I quoted those things, not because I was trying to uh, be mean to somebody, but because I actually care about those people. And I wanted them to see their sin, that they might repent and flee to Calvary and trust the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for what he did for them. They're not going to do that until they see their need. And so a man has to preach the law. A good preacher, he'll preach sin and judgment to come. Well, after that service, I had a man walk up to me, a relative of mine. And on his arm was another man's wife. And this man, this relative of mine, uh, is uh, what the old timers would call shacked up with this man's other man's wife. It's adultery. It's fornication. And you know what that uh, man said to me? He shook my hand and says, boy, Travis, that sure was a good message. I appreciate that. Uh, the Lord sure turned you into a good preacher. I'm thinking to myself as I'm standing there, and there was a crowd around. I really couldn't engage him. But I thought to myself, did you not hear anything that was preached? And the truth of the matter is, he hadn't. He hadn't taken anything personally. He had just listened to a performance as far as he was concerned. He had just been in the presence of some churchy kind of things. And he thought, well, that's neat to see my relative up there with the Bible. And uh, it's nice to be related to somebody that is a preacher. And he walked out. Do you think that he got any help from that? I doubt it. You know why? You say, uh, has it anything to do with the Bible? Nope, the Bible's truth. Is anything to do with the preacher? No, with all my faults and flaws, I still told him the truth as the word of God presents it. What was the disconnect? He hadn't taken it personally. Let me ask you a question, uh, those of you still listening. Do you take anything in the Bible personally? Will you apply it to yourself? Will you ask God, show me the true me as I look through the pages of the word of God? Believest thou? I'm going to tell you something. Agreeing to a creed or agreeing to a general truth about the Bible doesn't any more make you a Christian than standing in a garage makes you a car. Now, you've got to take this personal, and Jesus Christ put it on Martha personally. Believest thou this? Number two, he says in the question when he asks her, believest thou this, what does the this refer to? Well, it's referring back to the truth that he spoke in verse 25 when Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So he's asking her not just do you personally believe something, but he's asking her do you personally believe something uh, this, which is referring to the truth of the gospel. Now, when he says, I am the resurrection, that implies that there's going to first be a death. Jesus Christ was just a week away from dying on the cross of Calvary for mankind's sins. That's what he was born into this world to do, is to go to the cross to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. When the angel announced the birth of the Lord Jesus there in Luke chapter 2 to the shepherds who were abiding in their field watching over their flocks by night, the announcement was to get on into the city of David because right there he goes, I bring you great, uh, good tidings of great joy for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Listen, mankind's greatest need was a Savior. 
And I'm going to tell you something. The Savior had to come and die as a substitute for the fallen creation. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. He that knew no sin, he that did no sin, he that in him was no sin, became sin on the cross and died under the wrath of God in our place. And listen, he was buried, but blessed be his wonderful name. He came up from the dead. That's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And because Jesus Christ came up from the dead, friend, we have great assurance and hope today that we can be pardoned and forgiven and cleansed of all of our sins and be raised uh, one day from the dead. Because Jesus Christ got up, I'll get up. Listen, the Bible says over there in Acts chapter 17, when Peter, I'm sorry, when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill, he said this, he said, God commandeth all men everywhere now to repent. He says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, it says, whom he raised from the dead. And it says, he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. As I said earlier in the broadcast, men want to go on living. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If death was all there was and there was no hope of resurrection, then I'll tell you what, we would be miserable in this life. But I'm going to tell you something. God has hung a rainbow of hope over the cemetery, a rainbow of hope over our departed and saved loved ones because Jesus Christ is the resurrection. He came up from the dead. And because he got up, those who trust him will one day get up from the dead also. That's the truth. That's the gospel. The gospel is how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Listen, the resurrection is the, the heart of the gospel. Uh, the, the Bible says in Romans ten nine. listen to the words of this verse. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, now watch it, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, is what the scripture says. You say, what are you talking about? Jesus Christ asked Martha a personal question. And you need to take this question personally today. It's a loaded question. Believest thou this? What's this? What's he referring to? He's referring to the truth of what he just said. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He goes on to say later in the gospel of John to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let me ask you something. What about that? Do you believe this that he's just said? Do you believe Jesus Christ physically got up from the dead, walked out of the tomb alive forevermore, has the keys of hell and death, and has ascended back to the right hand of the Father, and is seated there ever living to make intercession for the saints? Do you believe that? Listen, I believe that as an eight-year-old uh, boy, I knew and was troubled in my heart because of my sin. I would lay awake at night in my bed pondering what it would be like to die and go to an awful place called hell. I believe those things because the Bible said so. But I came to find out that the Lord was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I found out in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world, but I took that personally, he loved more than the world. He loved me, Travis Alltop. I put myself in there personally. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? 
Have you believed the gospel? He says, lastly, to, to Martha in this verse, in verse 26, we see that it's personal and we see that he is pointing to the truth of verse 25, but he asked the question, believest. And this is where some folks get hung up. The word believe in the Bible is more than a mental assent to some kind of mathematical formula. If I were to say over the radio this morning, two plus two equals four, you would say, yes, I believe that. But you see, you're just uh, giving an assent to a, a truth. That's, the, that's a different kind of belief than what the Bible's calling upon us to believe. In James chapter 2, verse 19, you'll often hear people quote this and say, well, if faith was all that it took to be born again, then the devils would be saved, wouldn't they? And they ask that as a trick question because in James chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And it says in James 2, 19, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. And then it says these words, the devils also believe and tremble. But you see, belief there is just the belief of factual things. The fact is, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. The fact is, he lived a sinless life for 33 and a half years. The fact is, he died on a cross and was buried. And the fact is that he rose from the dead. And you can assent to all of those things mentally. You can say, yes, I believe that. That's all true. And still be lost. You see, when the Bible says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, when the Bible says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth uh, in him should not perish but have everlasting life, when the Bible speaks of believing on Jesus Christ in order to be saved, it is not talking about knowing or giving mental assent to the facts of his death, burial, and resurrection. No, sir. You say, well, preacher, then what does believe mean? Well, to believe and to be affected by it in the sense of being born again, the Bible defines for us what that belief is. You remember that it was the Apostle Paul who told the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, Paul defines his own terminology in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 when he says in verse 12 that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now watch it, verse 13. He says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay, so he talks about trusting the word of truth, which was the gospel that was preached to these people. It says, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So to believe the gospel is to trust the gospel personally. You remember he asked Martha, believest thou? And to believe something means to trust it to have faith in it. There's a great deal of difference between knowing a fact and trusting in the fact. You see, believest thou this, he's asking a personal question about what uh, Martha believed about the truth. And here is the, here's the way a man trusts. He puts all of his confidence and faith in that fact. You understand this morning that I'm going to heaven and I know where I'm going when I die because I have trusted my soul to Jesus Christ who died for me was buried and rose again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's to trust Jesus Christ. Listen, I remember hearing about the great Blondin, who was a tightrope walker back in the 1800s. 
And uh, he put on a big performance up there over the River Niagara between the borders of Canada and America many years ago. And they said that he would jog across that tightrope across the falls. And then he went across on stilts. And then one time he went over on a, uh, a wheel with a wheelbarrow full of blocks. And he got to the other side and they were all cheering. And he said, how many believe the great Blondin can go across with the wheelbarrow again? Well, everybody cheered and said, yes, we, we know you can do it. He pointed a particular man out of the crowd and he said, Sir, do you believe Blondin can take this wheelbarrow back across Niagara on the tightrope? He said, I sure do believe that. I know you can do it. He said, No, do you really believe it? He said, I believe it. I know you can do it. He says, I'm serious. Do you believe the great Blondin can take the wheelbarrow back across the Niagara River on this uh, tightrope? He said, I know you can. He said, You really believe it? He said, Yes. He goes, Then get in. Now that's the difference. The man, by the way, wouldn't do it. You say, what's the difference? The man believed it intellectually, but he would not trust the man personally. And that's the difference between Christians and those who think they're Christians. Genuine Christians versus false Christians. Have you ever trusted personally for Jesus Christ to take you over and across the River Jordan safely into heaven? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, the Lord asks you, believest thou this? Why not put your trust in him today? May God help you.